Today on In the Weeds, we had the privilege of sitting down with Andrew Kim, one of Kensington's lead pastors. Andrew sat down today with Mike and me to share about his own experience of God's presence in the midst of his suffering. You're invited to listen in. This is actually going to thousands and thousands of people right now. (laughs) (laughs) I think my mom might listen to it. (laughs) Andrew, you know, one of the things that we talk about a lot is the goodness of God. In fact, it's one of my actual favorite songs that we sing, The Goodness of God. And we believe that. You believe there's a, that God is good? Absolutely. Absolutely. But what does that look like when things are not good? I think that's a great question. And I think that's, it's a part of the human condition um, and just the human circumstance of living in a broken world. And I think it doesn't matter whether you, you follow Jesus or not, whether you know Jesus or not, the fact that we live in this world and we experience the brokenness around us, we all know that this is the type of world that we live in and we're touched by pain and suffering. If we've lived in this world for more than five minutes, this is something that we've experienced in our life. Um, and it touched me at a really, really early age. And my story is um, very much intertwined with my parents and that my parents, they came from South Korea. They came to Canada back in the 70s and they came looking for a better life. And so they were professionals. They had grown up in um, South Korea their entire lives. Um, they were young professionals. My mom graduated top of her class. She was teaching um, and that was something that she loved to do. And my uh, dad was working at a company that eventually became um, LG, which is now a global brand. And he had a great job, Uh, but they wanted, they were looking at kids and they were thinking, hey, you know what? As we look towards our future, we want the brightest possible future, not only for ourselves, but also for our children. And so they made the decision to come to Canada because largely the West was viewed as the best. If you want the best education, if you want the best job, if you want the best opportunities, if you want the brightest future, you go to the West. And so um, he got into grad school in Canada and they came. And just like any immigrant who, um, who comes to a foreign country, of course, they didn't know the culture. They didn't really know the language. Um, their degrees um, and their professional licenses weren't recognized. And so my mom, who's a teacher in Korea, um, she basically, that was, that her teaching license was not recognized. Her degree was not recognized. So she basically supported our family by cleaning homes and just doing odd jobs while my dad finished his master's and his PhD. Um, and right when my dad actually finished his PhD, and we basically had very little when my mom, um, when my dad was going to school. And, um, but we still had a ton of fun. And that's one of the things that I do remember because my dad uh, was so adventurous. But, um, but it was really hard for my family to make ends meet. And when it finally looked like, my dad was about to graduate with his PhD. He got a great job um, with the Canadian government. We were actually going to move and this job would have set us up, I feel like, for life. And then my dad was diagnosed with stomach cancer and he basically died a year later. And my mom, um, I look at her now, having children who are five years old and four years old, having no family, very little community, no money, uh, in a country where you don't speak the language or you don't really know the culture. Um, and sort of the no-brainer is you're going to move back to your, you're going to move back to home where you have family, where you have friends, where you have a support system, where you can get a job, all of that kind of stuff. And my mom decided to stay and she decided to stay not for herself, but because of her kids. 
understanding that we could have a brighter future if she chose to stay. Just a lot of hardship for her. She was a small business owner, and when I mean small, it was just her. She owned a flower store, and for 20 to 25 years, it was just her just going out every single day. It didn't matter whether she was feeling great or whether she was sick um, as anyone could be. She had to go, um, and so she did, and, um, and she did that for us. And so my dad's death had huge consequences for her, huge consequences for my sister. Um, but for me, I think for me, um, I just didn't know any different. And I think it was really, when I really began to grapple with it was when I was um, in ninth grade and I got to high school. And that just started probably the worst two and a half to three years of my life and that where I was bullied. And it was just awful that every single day this would happen. And there was these three kids um, these three other students who made my life just an absolute living hell for almost three years. And every single day, I remember um, something terrible would happen to me. And I was just absolutely terrified um, when I would get to school. So much so that at recess and at, um, at lunch, I would actually go down to where our metalworking woodworking shops were. And I would just spend my time there because there were no lockers down there. So no kids hung out there. And I remember at nights... Um, one of the things that I would do because I grew up going to church is that I was taught, hey, you should pray. And so that's what I did before I went to sleep. And um, during that season of time, I would just sit on my bed in the dark um, right before I'd go to bed. And I couldn't really say much because I was in so much pain. And I would just cry and cry and cry. And I would ask God just one question. I would say, why did you have to take my dad? Why did you have to take my dad? Because I believed, even as a ninth grader, I believed with every fiber of my being that my dad being who he was, and I have nothing but great memories of my dad, even the few memories that I have. I felt like my dad being my dad, um, what he would have done if he was alive was, was that he would have either stepped in to save me because being my dad, he loved me, or at the very least, he would have shown me what I was supposed to do as a man. But I had no idea what to do. And I felt so alone. I felt so abandoned. And listening to your story, especially through your high school years, um, being bullied, did you ever talk to anybody during that time? You know what? I didn't. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't talk to anybody. Um, I felt like nobody really understood. Um, and my mom, she was really busy working. My sister, was. she had her own life. Like I said, I had very few friends. I honestly, one of my saving graces was that, um, and this is the power of community, is that there was a small group that I would go to on Fridays at my church. And it was just other kids of my age. They had no idea what was going on in my life. And there was a small group leader who picked me up, who went 45 minutes out of his way to pick me and my sister up, understanding that my mom couldn't take us because she was a single mom and was working. And then he would drop us off. And um, that was one of the only places where I felt safe and accepted and embraced. And I remember thinking to myself when I got to Fridays or during the week when it was really, really bad, I remember thinking to myself, I just got to get to Friday. I just got to get to Friday. Not only because I knew that on Fridays, like the weekend was there, but I could go to this place where every other time at school and with my peers, I felt like I was vulnerable. I felt like I could be attacked. I felt like I had no self-worth, but I went to this place and I felt completely different. And I was like, that is, it was just, it 
even today, it speaks to the power and the need for community. And that was a place of refuge for me. Hmm. Andrew, at what point did the suffering in your own story cause you to question God's goodness? Or do you remember a time of wrestling with what his hand was in your life and in the details? I believe growing up that God is a God who is in the absolute details um, and that he orchestrates everything in this world from the good to the bad to the terrible. And so I believe that my dad's death was God's doing. And so I would ask God, like, why would you ever do this to my family? Why would you ever do this to me? And I need my dad more than anything right now. And he's not here. And I have to go through this alone. Are you kidding me? And I learned in church that you are good, like you said, Mike, that you are loving, um, that you are kind and you're compassionate. But where is that right now? After college, I went to work for a humanitarian organization, um, and it was a uh, Christian organization. Um, and one of the things that we had to do was that we had to complete sort of the um, introductory sort of period where um, where we went through training and um, just went through some classes as to what the organization believed, et cetera, et cetera, before we could officially work for them. And so one of the things that it did involve were some classes on faith and certain beliefs and perspectives. And so I remember one class, um, one morning we had to go to this class um, and it was about this, the topic of the problem of evil. And because um, it's difficult because what this organization did was that um, it did medical procedures for people all around the world. And you would encounter incredible pain and suffering. And so what do you do with that when you see that? How do you actually grapple with that? How do you um, deal with that? And so it was a very, very relevant topic. And I remember I went in and I was sitting, I didn't remember exactly in the room where I was sitting and it just leveled me because I never heard that before. And I sat there um, thinking to myself, um, who are you, God? Because it absolutely just shipwrecked my faith because I was like, oh my goodness, I believed that you had, you were the one who was intimately involved, that you are the one who um, orchestrated everything from the good to the bad to even the ugly things, even my dad's death. And now you're telling me there could be a different perspective than that? And I had just no idea. And I remember just sitting there, trying not to cry for the entire two hours I was sitting there. And that night, I remember I went to my, um, the leader of my cohort and and all we did was just, we sat there probably for hours and we cried. And I was like, how could this be? I thought I knew this God. And I remember praying that night, who are you? Who are you? Because I just had, I felt like I had no idea who God was because I felt like for 20 years of my life that I had been taught this is who God is. But it just made me really, really confused. And that really started me on probably about an almost decade long journey on this topic of pain and suffering. So go back to that moment in the classroom. What did the teacher say that just rocked your world? Yeah, because um, like I said, I always believed and grew up believing that God was intimately in the details. But this perspective was different in the sense of God knowing all the details, but not orchestra, not being the one who is behind them and not causing things to happen. 
but allowing more free will and human agency to enter in. And then I had this perspective of God um, of with his hands behind his back, allowing things to happen, but yet not intervening, if that makes sense. And so that's the picture that I remember having. And that's what broke my heart that God, are you telling me that you knew that this would happen, that my dad would die and all this pain would come to me and my family and you just stood by doing absolutely nothing. And how do you, how can you say that you are loving? How can you say that you are good? Because I would intervene and I would do something and I'm a human being, but you're the God of the universe who tells me that you love me and that you love humanity. And you're telling me that you just stood by and did nothing. And that's why I struggled so deeply with that perspective that day. It just launched me into just trying to figure out who is this God that I serve and what is the answer to this issue that has plagued humanity for literally millenniums. Um, and it started me, like I said, on an almost decade-long journey. And after I was with that organization, I went to seminary. Um, and I remember every book that I read, nearly every book that I read, almost every paper I wrote, almost every conversation I had, it seemed like it ended on this topic, the, pro the issue of the problem of evil and suffering in our world. Um, and I just talked about it, talked about it, talked about it, and just continued to pursue it. And I arrogantly said, you know what, even though no one's been able to figure this out, I'm going to figure this out, which was the most ridiculous thing, pompous did, did thing ever. Did you figure ever. it out? <laughs> yeah, clearly I did. Okay. You don't know? You don't yeah. know? I'll just give you the answer That's why at we the have end. You on the show. <laughs> and, um, and I just kept on pursuing and pursuing and pursuing. I studied like everything that I could get my hands on and tried to reconcile it, tried to figure it out in my mind. And ultimately where I came to was that after almost a decade of pursuing this, I remember thinking to myself, I remember came to, I came to a place and I said, can I keep going with this? How much more is there? And there's more, of course there's more. Uh, but I had learned so much. I had heard so many stories from people, heard so many perspectives of all the conversations that I had. And I remember I came to this place um, during this one morning and I remember saying to God, uh, and I felt like I had made peace with it uh, as to where I was. And I remember saying to him, I probably won't ever know the answer because I felt like I was going to get to heaven and God was going to, and I was going to say, God, what's the answer to this? I want to know now. And I felt like if he ever revealed it to me, he would say, it was a little bit of this and it was a little bit of this. And it was all this that you could never, ever understand or fit into your tiny head. Um, and, and I felt like I'll I would never know the answer, but I remember saying to God, I may not know the answer, but I know you better. And that is enough. And honestly, somebody who's going through that, if you were to say that to me when I started my journey, I would have just laughed at you because it wasn't enough. But when on that almost decade-long journey, I came to know better the heart of God and I found that there was so much beauty there, greater beauty than any answer could, could give me. And that's ultimately where I came to. And I said, you know what? That is enough because I was like, God, you're enough in this. I love that you got a heart answer to your head question. You never really arrived at, oh, this is God's exact hand in all of our circumstances or our life story. But rather it was more, you came to a place of really trusting God's nature, right? So it was about yeah. him as, 
as a person and your relationship and, and the nearness of him walking through all of this with yeah. you. I think one of the one of the cool things of it is that I've I've experienced that a couple of times in my life. Um and this is like I've only had like a handful of like really supernatural experiences, I would say, in my life. Um, but I think one of them was also when during that season of time in high school, when, like I mentioned, when I would just sit on my bed and I would cry and I would just ask that same question over and over again um, to God, why did you have to take my dad? Um, it was just this weird experience at nights that it was just dark in my room and I couldn't see, but I could feel his presence sitting right beside me, just like I could feel your presence and mm. um, and you in this room. I could literally feel his presence sitting beside me, crying with me and feeling my pain to the very core of my being. I don't feel like he ever said a word to me, but just being with me changed everything. But he was so kind and he was so gracious to me and just simply showing up. And he may have said something, I didn't hear anything, but it just simply his presence with me, I felt like changed everything for me. And just being able to feel him there, I was like, you do care. And, and when I felt like nobody understood me, because I didn't share this with anybody, when nobody understood me, his presence there, I felt so known and I felt seen by him. And that really did make all the difference in the world. Hmm. Again, listening to your story, there's a, especially in the Christian culture, we like to use the word blessing. And so, because when your parents first moved to Canada and your dad was getting his doctorate, yeah, you guys were blessed. Mm-hmm. He was getting a job, the American dream or the Canadian dream, excuse me. Yes, <laughs> the greater dream. So, so that was the blessing. And then your dad gets cancer and he passes away a year later. Suddenly, is the blessing gone? Or were you truly blessed? Because I yeah. think sometimes in our culture, we use this word blessing when things are going well. What does the blessing look like when things are not going well? Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a, loaded, <laughs> that's a loaded question. Thanks a lot, Mike. <laughs> that's, a, that's a loaded question. You know, I'm very deep, Chris. <laughs> you are. You are very deep, Mr. Nelson. Um, I think when, how I've... Definitely, blessing has become so um, conflated I feel like with the American dream and um, our desire for comfort and ease um, and very much so. And that anything that fits into that bucket where we're able to experience more of that in our life, where we are able to say, you know, when I am blessed and when pain and suffering enters into our life, that's not comfort, that's not ease. Um, And nobody wants that. I don't want that. And I know that no other human being wants that. But I think blessing is... Um, anything that really moves us towards God um, to be able to experience more of him, which is the most beautiful thing that we could experience as human beings. And ultimately, and sometimes, not ultimately, but sometimes that is pain and suffering. That when we are just moving our own way, sometimes God will allow certain things to enter into our life. That's my belief um, to sort of sometimes shake us up and to say, hey, remember, and to potentially move us in a different direction. Um, and um, and again, I don't know all the answers to this, but when I look at that and I'm like, yes, there are certain things sometimes that huh, I think this world would say that was definitely not a blessing, but I would look at it as 
um, it moved me closer towards God. I don't know if when looking at my story, <laughs> nobody's ever asked me that question though, Mike. Um, I would never in a million years want to go through what I experienced again. I struggle even right now to say, even though I just define blessing as that and mm-hmm. something beautiful happened, there's something in me that just recoils at the idea that this would be a blessing. Right. I don't know what it is. I'm just going to have to unpack that more, but yeah. that's a that's a fantastic question. I Because when you talked about when you experienced the presence of God for that first time, like he was real and he didn't say anything. He was just with you. Mm-hmm. And to me, it sounds like that's a blessing in the midst of the pain. Yeah. So yeah. how do we find, you know, how do we recognize those blessings in the midst of pain? Yeah. Yeah. And when you look at the scriptures, you see that, right? You see people in the most difficult and dire of circumstances. I just got back from Israel um, and just one of the places where David is running from Saul in the wilderness and he's hiding out in caves and he's supposed to be the next king. Of, he is the king, next king of Israel and he's been anointed and he's waiting for that time, but yet he's on the run and Saul is hunting him like a dog. Um, and he is going from place to place. Would he have called that a blessing? Even though he came to know that in those cave moments, his character was formed in a way that no other circumstance could have formed him. And he came to know God in a way that was so extraordinary. But would he have said, this was a blessing to me? And I think from the outside in, we can call it that. But it would be fascinating for, uh, for, to have a conversation with David and to say, would you have called that a blessing? I don't know if he would have. And there are countless other stories like that as well. Um, but I think in those moments, there are moments of blessing in those seasons. And I think I love the way that you put that, Mike, not calling the entire season a blessing, but moments within them. And I think about the people that I've learned the most from or the people that have prayed on my behalf or empathized so deeply with me, not one of them has had an easy road. Like all of the people that have impacted my life have gone through hard things. And when you meet somebody that hasn't, there tends to be a lack of I don't know, like heart formation or something. So there has to be some element of something good is happening to our hearts in in pain. I think there can be. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think it can be. Depends, I feel like, how open we are. And if we move toward God or away from him because of the pain. I think that's a great, I think that's a great part. Yeah, it's a great thought. One thing that I've been convicted on recently, and you alluded to it, is... We love the words of Jesus and reading the words of comfort in the Psalms. And sometimes I feel like we treat Jesus like he's a great person to get quotes from, like similar to Martin Luther King or Mother Teresa or C.S. Lewis, great people. And it's almost like we put the quotes on our wall like to inspire us. But there's a big difference between the words of Jesus and the actual person mm-hmm. of Jesus. So... As a pastor, somebody who's going through pain, which I'm sure you've had countless conversations with people in the midst of pain, how do you try to move them to the person of Jesus, not just the words of Jesus? I think one of the things that I do, I try to pray for um, to everyone who's going um, through pain is that we know that God is with us. 
right? The Holy Spirit is with us. It's a promise in the scriptures. Um, but what does that, but sometimes as human beings, we need the tangible presence of God. Um, and we need to sometimes see it and not just know like, you know, God is just everywhere. But at the same time, Lord, would you just show up sometimes in a tangible way? Because I need to be reminded. That's one of the ways that I try to remind people and just really ask also, Lord, would you show up for this person in just a just um, a hands and feet kind of way, a flesh type of way, in just an embodied sort of way? <laughs> Remember, you're not alone and that I'm walking with you. Because I feel like we could, we could learn all the words, we can learn all the truths. But when we're reminded of the fact that the God of the universe sees us, cares for us, and is actually present with us, that changes everything. That changes everything. Because the quotes on the wall are wonderful until life starts to fall apart. Um, and then we need something far greater. And so that's one of the things that I definitely pray for. And just also that I feel like God does show up and half the time we just, or probably not even half the time, but most of the time we're so oblivious to it that we just keep on going through. So I also pray, Lord, would you open up our eyes to be able to see how you are working around us and how you remind us that we're not alone in this. Whenever I have a question that's unanswerable or something I'm wrestling with, I do sometimes think simplistically about the cross. Like I think about, let me just hold this up to the cross and remember that Jesus died not just for our sin and shame, but he also carried our sorrows um, and he was stricken for us. So I just think about how all of our pain and the weight, the burden um, and grief, the burden of grief and sorrow that he, he also shouldered that for us and he did it. His flesh was broken for us. So yeah. there's something really, when we just post his words up on the wall, there's something about, remember, he had a body that was physically broken for us. Yeah. I think that's, I, when I think about the difference um, in the New Testament book of Hebrews, it talks about that we have a high priest who is able to empathize with us. And I love the fact that that word empathy is used because it's so much more powerful than sympathy. And, um, and for the longest time, I could never, ever figure out the difference until um, an author, a speaker, a professor by the name of Brene Brown actually deter um, sort of gave me uh, a picture of the difference. And she talked about how um, the, the, the difference between the two is that when someone falls into a deep, dark pit and is at the bottom and is needing help, sympathy is just looking down at the person and saying to them, oh, you're in a really bad situation. Can I get you a sandwich? And that's what sympathy is. Mm. It's like feeling uh, for a person. But what empathy is, is, is climbing down into the hole with that person and just being with that person where they are. Um, and empathy is feeling with them in their circumstance, in their situation, um, and just being with them as well. And I love that picture of it, is that when we find ourselves in the deepest, darkest hole or on the highest mountaintop experience, having experienced the greatest victory or somewhere in the middle, which most of life is, that we know that we have a God who is able not just to sympathize with us and not feel for us from a distance, but actually feel with us, understanding that he, when he was on this earth, that he experienced the entire spectrum of the human experience. 
And I love that. And that changes. That's a game changer for me. And I experienced that when I was in high school and I'm sitting on my bed and that I have this supernatural experience where I feel like God showed up for me and he was, and he felt my pain and he truly empathized with me. Game changer. And I feel like that is the God that we serve. And that makes all the difference in the world. And that sounds like enough to me. And that is enough. It was enough for me. Well, Andrew, thank you uh, for taking time today and for really your, your honesty and vulnerability because I think so many times as Christ followers, we feel like we have to give the right answer and we don't want to offend people instead of just being honest. So I, I again, I, I really I do. I thank you for, for your honesty. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Kristen. Thanks for having me. Number one, very first person on In the Weeds. Hey, I'm grateful for you both. You have been listening to Kensington Podcast Network In the Weeds with Kristen Pelletier and Mike Nelson. Stay tuned for future episodes. And to learn more about the Kensington Podcast Network, you can visit kensingtonchurch.org slash listen. 